Uh, Take and open your copy of God's Word with me this morning to Acts chapter 15, um, picking up where we left off last week at verse 36, and we'll uh, be looking at Acts chapter 15, verse 36, through the whole of Acts chapter 16. I've titled this sermon this morning, Missionary Character. Now, this week, I found an interesting uh, picture that Ken is going to put up for you of a Pizza Hut marquee. Pizza Hut, we have pizza. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Pizza Hut, we have pizza. Now, if I saw if I saw that driving by on the street, I might I might would stop and wonder: uh, Were you was there was this some other kind of hut prior to being one of pizza? But but Pizza Hut, they have pizza. It seems somewhat redundant, expected, even obvious. We've been looking over the last several weeks at Acts, uh, specifically beginning in, in chapter thirteen, even up to where we are now. Uh, focusing intently on the action, the movement, uh, the the um, work of Paul and Barnabas on mission with the gospel. And we said even a few weeks ago, I said a few weeks ago, that, that I might would like to dispense in some way with that term missionary. Because it, when we talk about Christians and we talk about missionaries, sometimes in our mind we, we, we create two different things. But in reality, all Christians ought to be missionaries. The words Christian and missionary ought to be redundant in our minds. A Christian is a person who is submitted to Christ as Lord, who is trusting him alone for the forgiveness of their sins, who is daily being changed in their mindset and character to be like Jesus, living a life of obedience to the Bible, and certainly being on mission with Jesus, who commands us, his followers, to make disciples of all nations. So when we say, I am a Christian, we ought to be thinking in our minds and saying with our lives, I am an active disciple maker, evangelist, missionary for Jesus Christ. Friends, as obvious as it should be to us that Pizza Hut does in fact have pizza, it should be all the more obvious that followers of Jesus and the local church of Jesus are missionaries for the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus. As we come to Acts 15, the end of Acts 15 through chapter 16, Paul and now Silas will begin the second recorded missionary journey uh, taking place in Acts. And as they do so, we'll find the Holy Spirit taking them to Europe and ultimately to Philippi, where uh, three distinctly different people will be delivered by the power of Jesus. I'm going to hone in this morning specifically on on this idea that as Paul sets out on this journey, which will take him and his companions to a place they have not yet gone, to this great city of Philippi, that, that we will see, we will learn by the example of Paul and his friends what the character, what the nature of the person of the mission-minded Christian should look like. We've seen how missions begins. Uh, We saw that in Acts 13 with spirit-empowered worship and that uh, it uh, continues in spirit-empowered readiness to share the gospel, always pointing people to Jesus as Lord. We saw in Acts chapter 14 that the mindset of the missionary must be one of perseverance, of pressing on, of doing what God has called, come what may. And now here we see the character of the Christian who is on mission. As a result of what we see in God's word and hear from it this morning, I uh, would hope that we would be led to consider through intentional prayer, conversation with God. First of all, who God is, or excuse me, who God is leading us to partner with in the gospel on mission. 
that we would consider through prayer. Secondly, what barriers we should remove to proclaiming the gospel in our own lives. Thirdly, through prayer, we should consider where God is calling us, where specifically God is calling us on mission. And fourth and finally, we consider uh, that the power of Christ, the redemptive power of Christ is to all manner of people and that God would send us to all manner of people with the gospel. And now before even we read from scripture this morning, before even I endeavor to preach God's word to you, I want to give you fair warning about how we're going to respond to God's word today after I'm done preaching. This morning, as I conclude preaching, we will not sing together a song of response or invitation to trust Jesus. Although we would like you to respond that way, if you want to trust Christ for the first time today, that today is a good time to do it. And, and don't leave today before speaking with myself or Pastor Danny or someone else in our church about trusting Jesus. But rather, together as a church, we are going to spend several minutes in concerted, intentional prayer to God. That our character as Christians, as members of First Baptist West Albuquerque, might be shaped by and might match the character of those early and intensely mission-minded Christians that we see on example for us here in Acts. This morning as we respond to God's word, after I'm done preaching, I am going to call you to leave your seats after hearing from God's word today. I'm going to ask you to come forward to the space that is here, to the steps. Uh, if you're unable to kneel, I'll ask you to use the front row of seats, which we uh, don't intentionally reserve, but today are reserved for you to use. If you need to sit to pray with your church, to come forward to respond in obedience to God as we pray together as a family of faith in Jesus Christ in specific ways for God's help to us in our mission this morning. So fair warning, if you need to, you may need to now change your plans that you had come 1145 this morning. I don't know, but you may just need to wait. I encourage you, please do not leave this morning without responding to the gospel, responding to God's word and his call to us to be on mission this morning. So there's fair warning. So whatever hurdle you got to get over in your head about coming forward and responding publicly in prayer with your church, you, you use the next several minutes to get over that hurdle. Okay. So that when the time comes to respond, there is no hesitation. Now, in Acts chapter 15 and, and 16, I told you we'll see uh, part of Paul and Silas's uh, second missionary journey. Ken's going to put a map up on the screen for us to look at because there are several cities that we're going to talk about uh, that are mentioned along the way. You probably have a map like this in the back of your Bible that you can look at and see more, uh, maybe even more clearly. But look, if you look at the screen here on your left, you can see I'll try to point with this little laser. Paul and Silas will begin here in Antioch, which is their uh, hometown, and they're going to return to to encourage the churches throughout the region of Galatia that Paul and Barnabas went to in Acts chapters 13 and 14 to Derby, to Lystra, and to Iconium. And through a series of events that we'll read about, they'll make their way north and west out of the continent of Asia into the European continent and ultimately to this city uh, uh, up here at the top left-hand corner of the map known as Philippi, a city where Paul and Silas will begin to plant a church uh, along with young Timothy who is in tow with them. And then in verses uh, chapter 17 and 18, excuse me, we'll finish the second half uh, of their missionary journey. So everything we're talking about and seeing today in 15 and 16 starts in Antioch and moves sort of north and westerly uh, up to this great city of Philippi. And so if you have a map in your Bible, I encourage you to look at that this morning too, uh, if it helps you to follow along the action and the geography of the text. Now, as we turn our attention to God's word, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verses 36 through 41, I would ask you to stand with me as we honor God by reading his word. 
the author of Acts, Luke, continues in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. God, we ask you, bless your people as we read and study your word this morning. You may be seated. The first aspect of this character of a Christian who is on mission, or just of a Christian, is this that we see in these first few verses, that Christians cooperate in the mission of Christ. Christians cooperate in the mission of Christ. Now, after some passage of time, after the events of Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas there in Antioch decide that it's time to return to encourage the churches that they had helped to start previously in Acts 13 and 14 in Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, those very cities where they were so heavily oppressed and even Paul himself was stoned. And here now at this point, Barnabas wants to bring along his cousin a second time, John Mark. The same John Mark who deserted them on their previous journey in that city of Pamphylia, having left the missionary team to go back to Jerusalem. Paul, on the other hand, does not want to take Mark with him again because uh, because Mark abandoned them the first time. Later in life, we we know that Paul and Mark will be reconciled in their relationship. Mark uh, will go on to to pen what is uh, known as the gospel of Mark. And so Mark's uh, uh, influence and contribution to uh, Christianity in its earliest days is not done at this point. But here, Paul wants nothing to do uh, with John Mark. And so Paul and Barnabas have what Luke calls a sharp disagreement at Antioch. The word that Luke actually uses indicates that this was far more than just a small difference of opinion. Paul and Barnabas could not have felt more strongly about their differing convictions at this point. We ought to know and recognize that it is nearly impossible to side with either Paul or Barnabas over and against the other as one being right in this situation. Because as one preacher has put it, our hearts go with Barnabas, but our heads go with Paul. That is to say, we want Mark to be restored. We want a second chance for this brother who, who struggled to be on mission back in Acts chapter 13. But we also know, like Paul, that the mission of Christ requires perseverance and steadfastness, boldness even, in the face of danger. And so the two, coming to irreconcilable differences, separate at this point. Barnabas takes with him his cousin, John Mark. They go back to Barnabas's home island of Cyprus. And Paul picks up Silas, the brother from Jerusalem who came with Antioch, <clears throat> along with Paul and Barnabas and Judas Barsabbas to help deliver the letter that the Jerusalem council wrote uh, to the Gentile believers there that we looked at and studied last week in the first part of Acts chapter 15. And so Paul and Silas then return north and west toward Derby and toward Lystra. And because of the disagreement over who to work with on mission between Paul and Barnabas, God is here able to use this disagreement, to use this split even between these two brothers, Paul and Barnabas, to multiply the mission force from two to four. Where previously there was one mission team of two people, now there are two mission teams of two people. The the mission work of the church is growing exponentially at this point because of this conflict. 
But friends, we also should not take from these verses that it is good or right to fight and argue with one another over such things. Okay? Don't, don't take from Paul and Barnabas the example that it's good to fight over things so that we can split and divide on mission. Rather, even as we saw last week from Acts chapter 15, we ought to strive for unity together. What we should note from these verses is that Christians, uh, more than fighting over who they serve with, they long to work with others on mission. When Paul and Barnabas split, they don't split to go independently. They split apart, and each of them takes a new partner with them. They, they want to work with others on mission. Friends, the character of the Christian is to be on mission with others. The character of the Christian is to be on mission with other people. So pray sincerely about who God is calling you to partner with on mission. We say often that Jesus has not died and been raised again to save us from sin, to be Christians on an island unto ourselves. We're not lone wolf. We're not lone ranger Christians. Rather, we have been called to faith in Jesus to become a member of his body that we call the church, a co-laborer with Christ and with other believers on mission with the gospel, making disciples. The mission of the church throughout the ages has never changed, friends. She is to make disciples of Jesus to the glory of God until Christ returns. Those are our marching orders from Matthew chapter 28, and they continue even today. And like everything else that the church does, she is to do this corporately. That means she is to do this together. The command that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That is a plural command. It is not to individuals. It is to all of his disciples collectively. We are called to do this together. And Paul and Barnabas, even in their love for Christ, even their love for the churches they they have planted throughout the region of Galatia, intend to work together. And even when they reach irreconcilable differences, they still look for others of like mind and like passion to serve with. So you too, Christian, have been called on mission with others. You've been called to make disciples of Jesus Christ, not by yourself, but with other people. And even as you begin to pray today about who God would call you to serve alongside in this mission, know that you already have God's own answer to that prayer sitting to your left and to your right and in the seat in front of you and behind you. This church body at First West that that most of us in this room have joined our lives to as members uh, of this church, this is the people of God God that he is calling us to be on mission with. Look around this room. This is the mission team God has placed you on. For better or for worse, this is who God has called us to make disciples with. These people in this room, covenanted together in the same gospel, around the same Lord Jesus. He has called all of us together to be doing this. Church, your brothers and sisters in this room are your primary mission team. So take pains, make efforts to know one another in this room. These are your mission partners, these brothers and sisters. And we don't use those words flippantly. We're part of the family of God. These brothers and sisters are your partners in mission for Christ. So get to know them, embrace them and embrace the common mission that we have together. The character of the Christian is to be on mission with others, but yet there is more. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, Luke continues, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. 
He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. You see that? He wants people with him on mission. And he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. And they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Christians... Remove barriers to the gospel of Christ, we learn from verses 1 through 5 of chapter 16. Christians remove barriers to the gospel of Christ. Now, upon returning to Lystra, this city where Paul previously was stoned, uh, supposedly to death, Paul and Silas meet this young man, Timothy, a believer in Jesus, son of the union of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And Timothy is a gifted and well is gifted and well spoken of by the church in Lystra. He's got a good reputation in town, even in spite of his youth, even in spite of his young age. And Paul desires to bring young Timothy along on his mission, but there's a problem because Timothy, though he's considered a Jew because his mother is Jewish, has not been circumcised in keeping with the sign of the covenant people of Israel of being circumcised as their first father Abraham was. And since Paul always goes to the synagogues of the Jews in every city that he, that he goes to with the gospel, he goes to the synagogues first. He asks young Timothy to undergo the painful process of being circumcised in keeping with his Jewish heritage so as not to give any reason to other Jews not to listen to the gospel that they will bring together. You may be asking, Knowing what we know from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35, the, the requirements uh, of the church council that met there in Jerusalem, to, to, where they required, did not require, excuse me, Gentile believers, Gentile converts to Christ to be circumcised. They said, no, you don't have to do that to be saved. You may be wondering, isn't Paul contradicting what the Jerusalem council just determined in the verses before this? Isn't Paul going against what he seemed to affirm earlier, that circumcision is not necessary for salvation? The answer is no. Now, Paul is not requiring Timothy to be circumcised in order to be saved. Timothy's already a believer, already a follower of Jesus. But rather, Paul is asking him to do this uh, act so that he will be honored and respected and well-received by the Jews that they will ultimately minister to. Paul knows that if the Jews in the synagogues that they go to know that Timothy, being a Jew, has not been circumcised, that will raise a huge, unnecessary barrier, a, a wall even, to, to receiving the message of the gospel that Timothy will preach. And so Timothy, wonderful, compassionate, Christ-loving, brave Timothy, undergoes this surgery for the sake of being able to preach the gospel without distraction. Beautifully, we find that in verse 5, as a result of all of this, the churches were strengthened. And the churches continued to grow in number uh, of those who are placing their faith in Jesus. And, and their lives in submission to him as Lord. Because of this small act of Timothy removing a barrier for people to hear the gospel of Christ. Friends, the character of the Christian is to remove all obstacles to the gospel. The character of the Christian is to remove all, God, all obstacles to the gospel. So, so then you pray humbly for God to show you those unnecessary obstacles that you need to remove or be ready to remove in order to share the gospel more effectively. The vast majority of the time, the obstacles that you will need to be ready to remove in your life to share the gospel will be cultural. Okay? You may find yourself on the mission field or, or in a person's home of a completely non-Western culture. They may offer you new and interesting foods to eat. 
They may wear different clothes or even cover their heads or sit on the floor or remove their shoes before entering their house. And in order for you to gain their respect and an opportunity to share the gospel, you'll need to eat the food that they serve. You'll need to trade in your t-shirt for a tunic. You may need to place a scarf over your head. You might need to leave your shoes at the door. But sometimes there will be obstacles to remove in our Western culture as well. God may lead you to share the gospel with people who have tattoos from ankle to pierced and stretched earlobe. And though you do not have tattoos from ankle to pierced and stretched earlobe, you might just need to look past that to see the soul of the one who God has made in his image and readied their hearts to hear the gospel. Now, on the other hand, you may be led to share the gospel with someone who is as straight-laced and clean-cut as they come. You may be one of these tattooed from ankle to stretched and pierced earlobe, and God has called you to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with someone who is as straight-laced and clean-cut as they can be. And in order for you to gain an audience, you might need to cover up your tattoos. You might need to wear long sleeves. You might need to wear long pants. You may need to take the earrings out of your ears. Paul says it well when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. And you can read these words on the screen behind me. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Dear friends, if Timothy, if Timothy can be circumcised as an adult in order to share the gospel more effectively with people who otherwise would not listen to him, you can eat the strange and interesting food that someone puts in front of you to gain a hearing for the gospel. You can take your shoes off at the door. You can sit on the floor as you eat a meal. You can wear a yarmulke on your head to gain the respect of those who are listening. Ladies, you can wear a shawl over your head and over your shoulders. You can wear dresses that go all the way to the ground in 110 degree heat in order to share the gospel. If Timothy can remove that barrier, we can do so much less than the power of God. Christians remove barriers to the gospel and we pray asking God, what things do I need to remove from my life? What things do I need to be ready to, to just get over by the grace of God in order to share the gospel? There's yet a third principle for us in chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, where there we read. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And as a, and a vision uh, appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Christians cooperate together on mission. Christians remove barriers to proclaiming the gospel as they go. Thirdly, Christians submit their mission plans to the Holy Spirit. The character of the Christian is to submit their mission plans to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Paul is a planner. Paul has intentions about where he wants to go, and he makes arrangements to get there with the gospel. Twice in this passage, in verse 6 and in verse 7, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we find, in spite of all the plans that they have made, are prevented from growing where they have planned to go on mission. In the first case, they desire to go to Phrygia and Galatia, but the Holy Spirit prevents them. You see that? The Holy Spirit doesn't say, no, nah, maybe try this. No, he closes the door. He says, no, you may not go there. And then they change course. And so they try to go through Bithynia. But even there we read in verse seven that the spirit of Jesus closes that door as well. Jesus says, no, you may not go there. And as much as these brothers wanted to take the gospel to new places and to new people and even made arrangements to do so, their plans are thwarted by, by none other than the Holy Spirit of God himself. Instead, they move on by Mycenae, which is along the northern border of the province of Asia, and to the port port city of Troas, where Paul receives this vision of a Macedonian man. We don't know who he is or who he represents, but a Macedonian man saying, Paul, y'all come over and help us. Asking Paul and his party to come to them to help them, presumably to preach the gospel to them. And this is precisely the direction from the Holy Spirit that Paul needed. Having had a door shut to ministry once by the Holy Spirit, twice by the Spirit of Jesus, now he has the direction that he must go. And so on waking from this vision, they, notice in verse 10 the inclusion of Luke now with this party, mission party, when he says we in verse 10, the the pronouns go from they to we, so now Luke is a a part of this team as well. Upon Paul's waking from this vision, they begin to make arrangements to go to Macedonia. Christians submit their mission plans to the Holy Spirit. So understand this, that the character of the Christian is to step out in faith to execute mission plans. The character of the Christian is to step out in faith to execute mission plans. So church, I'm asking you, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide your mission plans and to strengthen you to fulfill them. We ought not to think that just because the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, closed the door to, to mission twice here in Acts chapter 16, that Paul and, and Silas and Timothy weren't praying. I think they were, right? But all the same, we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide our mission plans and to strengthen us to fulfill them. Inherent here in this text and what we learn from Paul's example is that Christians do not sit idly by waiting for a new revelation from heaven about where and when to go on mission. We don't sit twiddling our thumbs, waiting for God to say, go here, go here, go here. No, Christians are to be a dynamic mission people, prayerfully and actively making plans about where and to whom they will go with the gospel. Now, sometimes the Lord will close a door that we really want to walk through on mission. You may really want to go to East Asia to preach the gospel to East Asian peoples. And God, time after time after time has said, no, I don't have that for you. The Lord will sometimes close the door that we really want to walk through on mission, but he'll never remove the mission from you. Listen, God, under, God reserves the right to, to take you where and when and to whom he wants. He has the right to take all of our best made plans and to throw them in the garbage in order to take us in a wholly other direction with, a, with greater faith in him and greater faith in his intentions. So the point here is this. Make plans to be on mission. Make intentional plans to be on mission. And I don't just mean around the world. 
Start making plans to be in your backyard at the same time that you know your neighbors are in their backyard so that you can talk over the wall and develop a relationship there. So you can have conversations that you might look to and prayerfully be able to turn to the gospel and turn to Jesus. Start making plans to learn the name and the, and the interests of the person who pours your coffee at your favorite coffee shop every day. That the Lord might use that relationship to open a door to sharing the gospel. Make plans to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. Start planning today. Make plans to go across an ocean or halfway around the world or to a different continent to preach to a people who have never heard the gospel before or to help a missionary who is taking the gospel to a specific group of people. Make plans to do all of those things and by faith begin to step out in obedience to Jesus to the plans that you have made. But so make all those plans, but make them all in pencil. And as you're taking steps to execute those plans, do so with an ear and an eye that's open to new opportunities, clear direction that the Holy Spirit might give. Christians are mission planning people. We do it uh, prayerfully and by faith in Christ, trusting that the Holy Spirit will guide us. So start praying about those plans that God is calling you to make. There's yet a fourth principle for us to learn, and this is from verses 11 through 40 of chapter 16, where Luke continues. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore now come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now seek to throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Christians seek to cooperate with one another on mission. Christians remove barriers to the gospel of Jesus as they're on mission. Christians make plans to be on mission. And finally here, Christians share Jesus broadly on mission. In fairly quick manner, the missionary crew takes, uh, makes their way to this uh, major city of Philippi. Philippi was one of the chief Roman colonies in its day with a history dating back to the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon, who conquered and named the city for himself. Though there was no synagogue in this city, God had still prepared three different people to receive the gospel and the deliverance that Jesus provides there in Philippi. First, we read this uh, of this woman, Lydia, in verses 11 through 15. Lydia is a wealthy, entrepreneurial, well-connected woman in Philippi. And because she was a seller of purple goods, often associated with royalty, those who were uh, of royal lineage or royal status were the only ones who could afford these things. She was a seller of purple goods. She, because of that, she was a woman of real means and of deep social network. Luke tells us that she's a Gentile God-fearer, like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And as Paul and the others go to the Jewish place of prayer, which is near a river outside of Philippi, there God opens the heart of this dear woman to believe the good news that Jesus, God's own son and promised deliverer, has died for her sins, been raised from the dead, and that there is salvation for her if she will only trust her life to him. And on her profession of faith in Jesus Christ, Lydia is immediately rescued from her sin. She is immediately restored in her relationship to God. She is baptized publicly in obedience to Jesus. And did you notice that not only her, but also her whole household doing the same? And because Jesus has so captivated this woman's heart in this way, Lydia's home then becomes the meeting place for the first church in Philippi there that we see in verse 40. The gospel, dear friends, is for wealthy people of great means who need to know that their status and their silver cannot deliver them from their sin. So take them the gospel. Next is a young slave girl who was possessed by an evil spirit that allowed her to prophesy the future. This slave girl we see followed the missionaries around for many days to that place of prayer by the river, shouting out true things about them. Did you notice that the thing that this girl who's possessed by an evil spirit is saying, they're not untrue. She's saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. But her constant shouting, her constant crying out, her constant calling of attention to all that is going on becomes ultimately a distraction to the gospel message. And in the name of Jesus, Paul casts the demon out of this girl, ultimately freeing her from its influence freeing her into the kind of spiritual rest that Jesus provides. Christian, the gospel of Jesus is for wealthy people, yes. But it's also for the poor. The gospel is also for the slave. 
It's for the oppressed. The gospel of salvation in Jesus' name is for the refugee and for the spiritually broken. The name of Jesus saves well-to-do people and the poor and spiritually bound alike. So church, point them to Jesus. Finally, Jesus delivers this Philippian jailer that we read at the end of this chapter. Paul, having cast the demon out of this poor slave girl, simultaneously cut off the flow of profit that her owners were gaining by exploiting her so-called gifts uh, of her demon possession. And through their influence, they bring these trumped-up charges against Paul and Silas to have them beaten and arrested and thrown into prison and into the stocks. Now that very night, around midnight, just as Peter previously had slept in prison in Acts chapter 12, Paul and Silas, with ankles in stocks, backs beaten and still bleeding, stay up all night singing, In Christ alone, it is well with my soul, blessed be the name of the Lord. And at midnight, God shakes the foundations of the prison, breaking the bonds, not just of Paul and Silas, but all of the prisoners in the jail. Now we know that it was upon his own life that the Philippian jailer was charged with these prisoners' captivity. That is to say, if they escaped, he died. And assuming that they have all left after the earthquake has opened the doors to the prison, he begins to arrange his own suicide. He is about to very literally fall upon his own sword for fear that they have left. But Paul and Silas and the others immediately cry out, Whoa, 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 stop. Don't hurt yourself. Everybody's still here. Your life is not in danger. And is at that moment that this jailer who has himself beaten and arrested these servants of God who proclaim the way of salvation there in Philippi, asks them, brothers, how can I be saved too? Paul, with bruised ankles, with blood still weeping from the lashes on his back, says to his captor, believe in the risen Jesus. Repent from your sin. Turn in faith to Christ, be baptized, and you will be saved. You and all your house who believe also. And that night, friends, the man who beat Paul and Silas, who locked their feet in the stocks, having his own conscience washed by the blood of Jesus, then washes the wounds of his prisoners, now his brothers in Christ. The gospel of Jesus is for wealthy people. It is for poor people. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is for hardworking, blue-collar people. Jesus has died and risen again to save both women and men. Jesus is for Jews and for Gentiles. Christ stands to deliver both our friends and our captors, Christian, from their sin. So my church family of First West, whom I am privileged and do so love to serve and to lead, take Jesus to people like these and then start looking for more. Friend, you may be here in this room this morning. You're not, you don't have a relationship with Jesus like what we're talking about here. You want to know, how can I be saved? How can I have my sins forgiven? I, I need to be right with the God who created me. I've been trying to do it all on my own and I'm getting nowhere. How do I have peace with God in my life? Here's the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus, God's own son, who was born a man, lived a life without sin. And died on a cross in your place that he might receive the penalty that you deserve for your sin. Having died on the cross, he then rose three days later to show his victory over both sin and death. So that everyone who trusts in him turns from their sin and submits to him as Lord, as king of their life, will be saved. Dear friend, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know salvation, but you want to, it is as simple as this. Recognizing your sin before God. 
that you're responsible for your rebellion against him, for your immoral actions, for the things that your conscience convicts you of. And place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again. Trust your life to him and you will be saved. You and your whole household do the same. Dear church, at First West, the character of the Christian is to proclaim Christ among diverse people. Wealthy people like Lydia. Poor, spiritually oppressed women like this slave girl. Hard-working, blue-collar, work-a-day people like this Philippian jailer. The character of the Christian is to proclaim Christ among diverse people. So then pray with an open mind. For Jesus to lead you into unexpected gospel sharing opportunities. Listen, I can say with great confidence in God's word that Paul and Silas did not have on their missionary plan checklist, wealthy Riverside woman, demon possessed slave girl, and the guy who just beat us half to death. But neither were these people excluded from their mission intention. It is good and right and wise for us to plan our gospel sharing efforts. To plan for specific conversations with specific people about the good news of forgiveness of sins and a life of peace with God through trust in Jesus is a good practice to have. Make plans, step out in faith to execute them. But it is also equally good and equally important to know that every person around us needs to know that same truth. Every person around us. It is equally crucial for us to know that God's love is not reserved only for those that we plan to share the gospel with. God's love is also reserved for those that we have not yet planned to share the gospel with. And knowing that God has loved the entire world by sending his only son so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life, as the Apostle John writes in John 3.16, and that God has ensured that he will save for himself people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group, as we read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it is absolutely crucial then that our eyes be open and our mouths be ready with the good news of Jesus Christ among no less a diverse people. The gospel is for all people. And Christians share the gospel broadly, even as Paul and Silas did. I told you this morning we were going to respond to the word of the Lord in prayer together. I pray that you have been preparing your own heart to respond the way that God is calling you to do so faithfully today. I want you to know this morning that as we gather together as the church of Jesus Christ that gathers together here at First Baptist West Albuquerque, our prayer together here this morning in this place will not be the conclusion of our response to God's word today. But only the beginning of it. The time we spend in prayer together this morning, specific prayer about the things that I've already said, the things you have already printed there in your worship guide, the things that we will pray together about this morning as a body of Christ. This is not the end of our response, dear friends. This is only the beginning. We are praying together, asking God, you, you show us, you, you, you direct us, you guide us, you, you show us those barriers we need to bring down in our life. You show us the diverse people that we must share the gospel with. You do that, God, because we can't do it on our own. And any plans that we make in our own strength will only show our, will only serve our own glory and not yours. And we want to glorify you, God, and not ourselves. So we're asking for your help, Lord. That's going to be the heart of our response this morning. And so now we move into that time of response. Uh, Melinda's going to come. She's going to play some music.